0: Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God. This two-edged sword of law and gospel recorded to you in the scripture all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, January 12th, we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7-18. to 18. In today's text, St. Paul expounds upon the ministry of the New Covenant, whose glory surpasses the ministry of the Old Covenant. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church, Friedheim, Just outside of Decatur, Indiana. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Good morning, Pastor Apple. It's good to be back with you.
0: If you're just outside of Decatur, Indiana, that means you live in the suburbs, right?
1: That's right, just uh, to the south of Fort Wayne.
0: How are the suburbs today, Pastor?
1: They are absolutely beautiful.
0: Fantastic. So we get to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 3 today, the latter half of that chapter, what should we know about this epistle and what Paul's been talking about so far leading up to our text?
1: Yeah, so we have to remember in the context of 2 Corinthians, kind of Paul's relationship with the Corinthian Christians. Um, This is going to be most obvious in the fact that there is a 1 Corinthians where Paul and his ministry to them lays out all of the different kind of theological interpersonal issues that the people are having. Um, these were people who I think by our, our standards might be kind of a a broad diverse group of people. Uh, they have rich, they have poor, they have Jew, they have Gentile, they have lots of issues with each other. Paul writes, uh, first Corinthians, uh, in order to kind of encourage them and to correct them. Um, paul tries to get to them um, by the time of second corinthians apparently that plan to get to them hadn't really come to fruition um, and during this time um, some issues arise and some of those issues come up because apparently paul doesn't get to them and in the meantime, some other people end up coming in and speaking to and influencing the, the Corinthians. Uh, from what I've read and understood, that that could be one group of people, it could be multiple groups of people, it could be uh, different kinds of, of issues that are being brought up. The, the important thing to understand is, uh, by the time of Second Corinthians and really getting into 2 Corinthians 3, paul's credibility with the with the corinthian christians has been diminished um, because of kind of external glory things Uh, paul's going to get into some things talking about uh, defending himself over and against maybe not his ministry not looking great uh, outward appearances um also has to do with as you get further into Second Corinthians, uh, there might even be like a Judaizing influence where some of the people coming in are uh, preaching a gospel other than the one that Saint Paul handed to them in First Corinthians, and this is causing an issue mainly because it it seems to be at this point in the letter the Corinthian Christians are uh, doubting the apostolic authority of uh, the Blessed Apostle Paul. Mm.
0: Yeah, later in this epistle, there are those that are sometimes termed super-apostles that seem to exalt yeah. themselves above Paul, and in, and in that way then diminish the way that the Corinthians were looking at Paul. And so you see throughout this epistle in a variety of places where he he speaks about the authority that he has, and not in the way of boasting in himself personally, but rather in speaking about the ministry that has been given to him by the lord jesus himself and i think that's important anytime we come across those texts where it seems that paul is is boasting of in some way shape or form that he's doing it not to exalt himself but rather to exalt the one who gave the ministry and the one who comes through the ministry who is jesus when paul talks about himself he'll boast in his weaknesses that's coming later in this epistle when he boasts positively it's always in the lord jesus
1: yeah amen i think that's another piece of this story that you have to keep in mind especially when we're getting into this second corinthians 3 argument we we can't ever put out of our mind the context which is galatians 1 Um, where where does paul get his apostolic authority why is paul able to speak the words that he is going to speak to us um, it's because, apparently, uh, Jesus is the one who instructs Paul when he is out in the wilderness uh, in Sinai, which is alluded to in Galatians 1. So when Paul is speaking to these Corinthian people, when Paul is speaking to any of the people he addresses, when Paul even speaks to us today, he, he does so as uh, one who has received instruction from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which does make him an apostle.
0: Now, the matter of Paul's apostleship and his sufficiency, which comes from God, not from himself, that really yep. stood out in the first part of this chapter, he makes a bit of transition within this text, it seems, jumping from that thought of the, the difference between the the New Covenant and the Old Covenant, the letter and the Spirit, which we looked at as a part of yesterday's text and takes a bit of, I don't know, excursus, I don't think, is quite the right term, because this this does relate to where he's going in chapter 4, but he does make sure to give us the biblical background, it seems, in this text. Before we read the text, and I know we'll talk more about this when we get to it, but what Old Testament background do we need to be keeping in mind as we prepare to read this section from Second Corinthians 3?
1: So the the portion of scripture that we really have to pay attention to is I would, I would say broadly speaking, the entire Sinai uh, journey in the book of Exodus, Um, you could probably start at Exodus 20, but really if you want to focus it in, we are dealing with uh, the second set of tablets in Exodus 34. Um, This is where the the law is given. All the laws are given. Moses goes up on the top of Mount Sinai. God himself kind of inscribes the the law on the stones. Uh, Moses goes down the mountain. They there's the golden calf episode. The stones get smashed. Uh, Moses sets or Mar, Moses carves another set of stones. He hews he hews the stones. Takes them back up the mountain and God. He has a kind of conversation with God, and in the midst of this conversation, Moses face-to-face with God interceding for the people, his face glows, he goes down the mountain, and that kind of sets in motion the, the kind of the image that Paul is using in Second Corinthians 3.
0: All right, so we want to keep in mind Moses' face-to-face conversation with the Lord on Mount Sinai, the resulting glowing, the glory that shines forth from Moses' face, having spoken to God face-to-face, all of those things are going to come into play in what Paul says here. We'll keep looking more at that Old Testament text, but now we read from 2 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's our text for today, that is Second Corinthians chapter three, verses seven to eighteen. And Pastor Almer is Our text for today begins, Paul talks about this contrast between the ministry of death, as he calls it in verse 7, and then the ministry of the Spirit in verse 8. Maybe contrast is is one of the words I would use to describe this, and a a movement from the the lesser to the greater is maybe another way of thinking about these things. So let's talk about this. talk a little bit about the ministry of death to get us started.
1: Okay, so... The ministry of death is, is tied with this, um, with this Sinai uh, event where in Exodus 20, um, after the people had been set free from Pharaoh... They, they come before God in his presence, and, he's, and he speaks with them, and he, when he speaks to them, of course, uh, we hear those wonderful words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, and then he declares to them uh, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, remember this Sabbath day, by keeping it holy, um, and so on and so forth, right? Now, the interesting thing here is that God is teaching his people, telling his people how he created them to be and how he kind of expects them to live in covenant with him. The, the problem with this is, uh, as, we, as we understand it, as we talk about a lot as Lutherans, uh, these commands are, are law. And what what the law does, uh, and what this law does, the Ten Commandments does, is specifically show uh, the Israelites uh, who they should be but are not i, th- I think w- where this becomes very very evident as we kind of already alluded to is the first commandment you shall have another gods it doesn't take the israelites very long to not just break it like like people sin every day but b- break it in like a glorious way with the right. with the golden calf event where they take the gold that uh they left egypt with as a gift from god uh, where he made the Egyptians' heart kind of well-disposed towards them, and, and they give them gold and silver as they leave Egypt. So they melt it down and make an idol and say, uh, look, O Israel, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. Like They they go off the rails spectacularly immediately. Right. Uh, but this shows us uh, basically what the law always does in our teaching is that the law always accuses. And when the law accuses, we, we find ourselves... Um, in opposition to the law. And we all know what the uh, penalty for breaking the law is. Uh, The penalty for breaking the law is death. So all of these last couple minutes of me talking is Paul kind of summarizes here in in a sentence. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses's face because of its glory. Kind of all of that is wrapped up in that one statement.
0: Okay, so you, you've clarified for us why it's called the ministry of death, because in the law that was given through Moses, we come to see our sin, and there's no way of escape for us in that law. The law is not able to save us, as Paul says elsewhere, and so he calls it a ministry of death here. At the same time, though, he notes that this ministry of death had a great glory, so he's not insulting the law or the ministry of Moses here by calling it the ministry of death. He's simply acknowledging what its effect was, but he's also noting that it really had a, a pretty awesome glory, so much so that Moses had to veil his face. So talk about the glory that came with this ministry of death.
1: So this this glory references uh, this this passage in Exodus 34, where Moses does go up and meets face to face with God to receive uh, the testimony written on the second set of tablets of stone. And Moses talks with God. He comes back down the mountain. And when he gets down to the mountain and the people see his face, it's glowing and it's glowing so much that when the people see it, they, they kind of see God's glory reflected in his face. And God's glory has the effect that it does on sinners doomed to death. It causes them to be absolutely terrified. So in Moses, they see God's presence who kind of is is with them and who gave them his, his words. Uh, but they don't receive this. Uh, as a as good news. They don't see it as God's gracious presence amongst them. They see it kind of as a condemnation and a judgment. So this ministry of death, this condemning of the law, does come with it with God's very presence shown in Moses to the point that in order to minister to them, whenever he goes up and sees God from that point forward, when he is done speaking with God, he has to cover his face so the people don't see God's presence amongst them as a terror.
0: Now, Paul, Paul also talks about in connection with the glory that Moses has in his face, that this glory is coming to an end or being brought to an end. How does that factor into what what happens there in Exodus 34 and what Paul's talking about here?
1: Well, and this is this is why we, I think we ought to be so blessed to, to be on this particular side of history, mm-hmm. not in the, in, in the place of the Israelites. Because we know that God's actual work, his proper work is love, it's salvation, it's showing mercy. And this is uh, shown when God fulfilled all of the prophecies of the old Testament, when God uh, fulfilled all of his promises in the old Testament, when he sent his son uh, born in Bethlehem uh, long ago to save the world. So in, in the ministry of the Spirit, where there's more glory, this is where God takes on the salvation of His people in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. Hmm.
0: So to, to try to put all of this, then, in the context of what you were saying earlier about Paul needing to defend his apostleship, and again, not for his own personal benefit, but for the benefit of the hearers' understanding that they are hearing the Word of God— The point that it seems that he's making is that the ministry of death, which was given through the law of Moses, that had this incredible glory, so much so that Moses needed to veil his face, but it was a glory that passed away, a glory that now has been overtaken by a greater glory, that's where we're headed. If that was the case for this ministry of death, then how much more now this ministry of the New Covenant, this ministry of the Spirit, this ministry of righteousness, all these terms he's going to stack up one upon en- on another, that is a part, of, like, that's a part of his defense then of his apostleship. Look, you, you think that my ministry is, is nothing. Well, look at what the ministry of the Old Testament was. It had a glory. How much greater now is the ministry that God has given through, through the
1: apostles now in the New Testament? That is absolutely right. The only issue with that particular thing is that to some in their outward-looking appearance, the apostles' ministry did not have that glory. Um, they looked so like that's jars,
0: kind of, jars of clay, right? E-
1: exactly. So you, you have something here keep, where— Keep reading later. Yeah, right. So you have, you have this issue here where you have this ministry of death that has this great outward glory in the shining of Moses' face— and that has passed away. And because it passes away, you're going to assume that what replaces that glory is even bigger. But in Paul, like in his own person, in his own being, he seems to be weak and, and feeble and not succeeding in a, in a lot of various ways. And it seems to be uh, confusing, right? It, it just doesn't seem to, to add up because what Paul is going to claim is that this great glory is something that at least for the moment remains hidden.
0: Right. So I mean keep like a lot of those thoughts that you were saying there. We need to keep in mind as we keep reading beyond this section today into chapters 4 and 5. I mentioned the the treasure that's in jars of clay. Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 4 and even this thought of There is this glory in the ministry of reconciliation right now, but you can't see it. That's going to carry into chapter 5, when Paul talks about living by faith, not by sight. So this is the reality in chapter 3, is that this ministry of the new covenant has a greater glory than the ministry of the old. But you can't always see it right now. And that's, that's one of the—this is, again, the foundation that Paul's laying that he's going to keep building on as this epistle progresses.
1: Yeah, and I'd, I'd say there's even flavors of this— uh, reaching back into his first epistle in 1st Corinthians one of my favorite chapters being 1st Corinthians 2 where he talks to the Corinthians about how he doesn't come to them kind of in greatness or in wise words of, of speech or wisdom but he he comes to them preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified in weakness and much trembling he's he's going to preach the cross which is, is weakness and foolishness um, but by faith we know that this is the salvation of God, which is the greatest glory that human beings know.
0: Yeah, even though he doesn't use the language of glory per se in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians, that's definitely in the background here of, what is this glory of the, the new covenant? What well, is the cross of christ i mean it's a fantastic connection there pastor ulmer so the now before we before we go too far though because we're, we're still talking about this contrast between the ministry of death the ministry of the spirit the ministry of condemnation the ministry of righteousness before we go too far when we hear paul talk about the ministry of death the ministry of condemnation and he connects it to moses and and we've even used the terms old covenant maybe even old testament might come to our minds think we need to clarify, Pastor Ulmer, this does not mean that the entirety of the Old Testament is law, in the sense that it's the only the commands of God that we can't fulfill that shows us our sin. The Old Testament is full of the gospel. I mean, we go ahead and help us with that clarification so we don't misunderstand what Paul's saying here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what What we should understand as Christians who are reading the Bible is that God has always uh, worked uh, for those who believe in him. This goes back to Abraham um, especially when he tells Abraham to go to a land he hadn't shown him and that he would make him into a great nation. and Abraham believed him and it was credited to him as righteousness. I think we've talked about this a lot in in that great list of of the faithful in in Hebrews where, the, the writer of the Hebrews expands on that greatly. Um, you see it, uh, the great uh, act of salvation, even in the Exodus, because God hears the people's cries and he sends to them a, a savior in Moses and he leads them out of Egypt. He does all of the work um, and he and He tells these people, you are my people. I mean, even in Exodus 20, when he gives the 10 commandments, it's always... Um, the, the foundation of him being able to give the Ten Commandments is I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He saved them. He claimed them. They are his. That's all gospel. Um, throughout the rest of the Old Testament too, every single time that he, he gave to his people grace upon grace upon grace, he saved them from their enemies in the era of the judges, and the era of the kings, bringing them back from exile in Babylon. Every single messianic promise he gave to them was was all God's grace to them in salvation, and all he ever wanted them to do was trust in him.
0: Yeah, and I think your mention of the promise that was given to Abraham is very important when we think about Moses, because Moses does come after that, and so the what happens with Moses at Mount Sinai is in the context of that promise that God has made to Abraham, that through his offspring, Blessing will be given to all families of the earth. And of course, you can go farther back to the promise given to Noah, the promise given to Adam and Eve in the garden. All of what happens with Moses at Mount Sinai that Paul calls the ministry of death, this giving of the law, is couched within the context of those promises. So again, we're not saying that the entirety of the Old Testament is this ministry of death, but what God does there at Mount Sinai in this giving of the law that can only bring about... The knowledge of sin and can't save us from that sin, that is there with a great glory in order to prepare us, to make us ready, or to, to be a guardian for us, as Paul talks about in Galatians 3 and 4, until this greater glory comes, which it has come, according to St. Paul and the Apostles, in Christ Jesus. It was all pointing forward to that. Yes. Good. Alright, thank you. I just wanted to make sure we made that clarification, Pastor Omer, because uh, sometimes Christians don't have the we don't have the appreciation that we should for the Old Testament, and we wouldn't want a, a text like this to lead us to underappreciate the good news that is found within the pages of that part of Sacred Scripture.
1: Uh, absolutely, and I, I would I would be careful to say the, the ministry of death here I, is not equated with the Old Testament. I think right. that's the point you're trying to make.
0: Yes, and, and I would also—it's it's not to be equated with the entirety of the Old Testament, and it's not even to be equated with the entirety of everything Moses did, I would say, as well. There's plenty of things that Correct. Moses does and says that are gospel. Sorry, keep going. I yeah, I, to I think that
1: this—, this... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to reiterate Pastor Apple's point here that this ministry of, of death and this very specific locatedness in this the story of Exodus thirty four, this ministry of death is um, the giving of the law, and and this ministry of death would would be like saying, um, you you must be saved by your keeping of the law. That that's going to be the issue and. And I, I believe that this is an issue that Paul is dealing with inside the, the Corinthian church. Um, there are people here who are saying, yes, Jesus died for you, but also. And whatever comes after that but also, that is this ministry of death. This is the keeping of the law, which uh, Paul is very careful to tell the Corinthian people that this this leads to nothing but death. It has glory, but it leads to death because that's what the law does. It always convicts.
0: Yeah, and that's and and as he will keep going, the glory that it had has now been far surpassed and even uh, subsumed with this greater glory that comes through the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of the Spirit, all these terms that Paul will use, not only in this text, but going forward. And we're going to keep talking about that ministry. On the other side of the break, you're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Matt Ulmer this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around.
2: Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right! LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, January 12th. We're studying 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 18 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. He serves at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church Friedheim, just outside Decatur, Indiana. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we were looking at Paul's language about the contrast between the ministry of death and the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of condemnation, and the ministry of righteousness let's move into verse 10, because we've kind of been leading up to it with this matter of glory. In verse 10, Paul says that what once had glory, so that would be the ministry of death, now has no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. So talk about this, uh, uh, this end that's come to the glory of the ministry of, of death that Paul talked about.
1: I would love to pastor Apple, because this is like my favorite thing to do as a pastor. Um, which is to proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that God is faithful to all of his promises. And kind of the the capstone of this is the birth of his son in Bethlehem long ago. I know that as we're recording this, we're in the middle of Advent. Uh, The blessed festival of Christmas is quickly approaching. Um, He he has his birth and, and that child was born for one reason, That child was born to save humanity from their sin. In order to do this, uh, he had to, A, become the perfect person that the law says we ought to be and couldn't be, and he does fulfill the law in every thought, word, and deed. Jesus Christ becomes that perfect person, even the perfect Israelite for us. And then not only does he kind of complete and fulfill the law, he takes the entire Uh, wrath of God onto himself he becomes sin for us that on the cross God can both punish sin in Jesus so that he can be merciful to us so in that cross you see that beautiful image of of justice and mercy and in the laying down of Jesus's innocent life for our not innocent life so in this uh, wonderful exchange where Jesus fulfills the law, dies, gets placed in a tomb, defeats death on Easter, um, this ministry of death has been has gone away. Uh, this ministry of death has gone away because Jesus has fulfilled it. Jesus has completed it in our stead, and he gives us his righteousness instead of requiring us to rely on our own. So... Um, when Paul says that this thing that had glory has come to no glory of all, in Christ it has no glory at all because all the glory is his. Because he has overcome the grave, alleluia, Christ is risen.
0: He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Yeah, as, Paul, as Paul talks about this matter of glory and the, the glory of the new covenant surpassing the old, and such that even the old has no glory anymore, it reminds me a lot of some of the things that the writer of Hebrews talked about when he talked about the old covenant as a shadow, now that the substance has come, you don't need to cling to the shadow anymore, you cling to the substance. Like, Paul is doing something similar here, although perhaps for a different purpose. It seems in the letter to the Hebrews, there are those who desire to go back to the Old Covenant and to cling to those things. I'm not sure whether or not that's necessarily the case in Corinth. There there may be some of those tendencies, but rather here it seems to be... He's reminding them from what they know, the Old Testament, look at the glory that was there under Moses. That glory has come to an end because there's this even greater glory in Christ, and that's the glory that we are proclaiming to you. So hold on to this apostolic message. Again, not necessarily in the face of some of those Judaizing tendencies, but in the face of anything that would detract you from Christ and the message that the apostles are proclaiming.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think it's pretty easy to see this type of uh, thought and argument all over the epistles. I mean, even if Paul isn't specifically addressing the Judaizers right here, he does so in other places and, and taking, just for an example, um, the requirement of the Gentile Christians to be circumcised. Right. Um, this ends up becoming a big deal for Paul. It becomes a big deal for Peter. In fact, it's the thing that... Uh, is the is the issue that sparks the first jerusalem council in acts 15 and it and it's uh, resolved there and and the issue is is you have a faction in the church saying well yes jesus has died for you um you gentiles you're allowed to be grafted in but you also have to do this other thing and and that other thing is a requirement of the old law which in christ has already passed away so you're you're placing a burden and a requirement on a brother's conscience um, that has uh, been put away by Jesus' life death and resurrection and that and that just doesn't seem to um, it doesn't seem to jive with Paul. it doesn't uh, it doesn't it just doesn't work for Paul like he's he's just not gonna go there.
0: No he, he's gonna he fight also it did. very,
1: very difficult. He's gonna fight it very graciously. Uh,
0: that's right. That's right. Now, he concludes this paragraph in verse 11, mentioning again about the matter of the glory. If that which was being brought to an end, that's the ministry of death, if that one had glory, how much more will what is permanent, that is the ministry of the new covenant, also have glory? So here again, we have another contrast between the ministry of death and the ministry of righteousness. The former was coming to an end and has now been brought to an end, but the latter is permanent and that that's very good news too for those who like to proclaim the gospel such as yourself.
1: I, absolutely and and this is where what what we believe and we proclaim and what Saint Paul is teaching and proclaiming, part of this we know in in our guts and and part of it we, We only receive it by faith because we can't see it all the time. But I think what Paul's getting at here is this permanent glory, that this permanent thing that comes from this ministry of reconciliation is the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. I mean, when Jesus comes in the clouds in the last day, the trumpet blasts and he calls all of the slain out of their graves and all of the... Uh, people of the earth including all of the kings fall on their faces and declare that jesus is lord that's going to be a day and when god uh, takes his people to himself in the new heavens and the earth and he prepares for them with his own hand and even wipes away every tear from their eyes with his own hand that's going to be a glorious day the day when every enemy is put underfoot the day when death is finally put to death, that is going to be a glorious day. That's what Paul is trying to focus the Corinthians' eyes on, that day that's coming that is not just Jesus' resurrection from the dead, but our resurrection from the dead because of Jesus'.
0: Now Paul continues to make more contrast here with the ministry of the apostles and the ministry that Moses had under this ministry of death. In verse 12, he said, We because we have such a hope, the hope that you were just describing for us, Pastor Ulmer, that makes us very bold, which isn't like Moses. And he brings up this veil again. So talk about the, on the one hand, the boldness of this new ministry, and then the the veil that Moses has to put on.
1: Yeah, so you you have the the veil, which was meant to kind of shield the Israelites from the god's glory radiating in in moses's face because they were not uh, able to endure the word of the lord they weren't endu- able to endure his presence nor his word now what paul is doing here quite uh literally is he he's exchanging that that veil that kind of that separation between God's word and his people in his own ministry, because what Paul's doing here in second Corinthians, as he has done in first Corinthians, as he has done in every church to which he had been sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he has kind of taken on his apostolic duty as a witness to uh, Jesus's resurrection and, and just kind of boldly uh, laid it before the Corinthians once again, um, These are the things that we know for certain your life and your salvation is in Jesus's life, death and resurrection. He has no reason to kind of hold back from them. He has no reason to hide it. He has no reason to veil it uh, because of that that wonderful glory that he spoke to before.
0: So Pastor Ulmer then, we've got Moses with his veil over the face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but then Paul says their minds were hardened, and now speaks about this veil in a different way going forward. What happens when you hear Moses apart from Christ? It takes in this language of, of the people being hardened in the veil that now is over their hearts.
1: Oh. Yeah, so so here you have this, this deal where Uh, Obviously, in their churches, uh, the Old Testament was being read. Moses was being read because uh, what was the scripture in this kind of New Testament period? It was more than likely the Old Testament. I mean, the, the other answer to that question is the the scriptures were being kind of written and read to them right now in Paul's apostolic ministry and in the ministry of Peter and, and the other apostles. So that's kind of being fleshed out in this time period. Um, but what he is pointing out to them is when, when they're reading, uh, Moses, when they're reading the law, uh, for some, uh, it, it's kind of fulfillment. It's, um, meaning is, um, it's kind of hidden from uh, some of the listeners. And when they read the law, this ministry of death kind of at that, you must um, fulfill the law yourself. uh, There is some condition of your obedience to fulfill the law. Uh, This is going to, to harden the heart against God because um, let's face it, folks, not, not one of us has kept the law perfectly. and, And by trying and by trying to, attain our righteousness we end up not even listening to the very first commandment which is you shall have no other gods it kind of always comes back to idolatry um, so when when this happens um, it kind of deadens and hardens the faith which is the thing that that god asks his people for uh, from mm-hmm. the beginning
0: yeah what what's i think important to see about this is that what what takes the veil away is christ and i think this This passage backs up precisely what we were talking about earlier, that Moses is not only a preacher of the law in the sense of the commands of God, but he's also a preacher of the gospel. That you can't actually understand Moses properly unless you know Christ. And if you try to read Moses apart from Christ, you're not actually gonna read Moses correctly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, you know, Jesus makes this point in a number of places in his in his teaching in the gospels. So Christ is the way to read Moses correctly. Until then, though, a veil is over the hearts of those who hear Moses, and I I suppose this is, this is true, more broadly speaking, not only in terms of Moses, but in terms of the entirety of the Scriptures. That anyone who would attempt to read the Scriptures apart from faith in Christ, so any unbeliever who reads the Scriptures could understand say like the things that happen and could you know put together a timeline of of what goes on things like that but you can't actually understand the scriptures properly and and get them get their meaning unless you know Christ through faith
1: yeah and I think that absolutely makes sense it kind of brings me back to uh, those good old days at the seminary talking about like the formula of Concord when there was debates. Uh, amongst the reformers about what is the what is the core teaching of scripture what is the lens through which we interpret everything and i think one of the gems of the lutheran the lutheran tradition of christianity is that we do understand that the entire thing is about jesus Uh, we can't understand the old testament Uh, Unless we understand Jesus, we can't understand the New Testament. Unless we understand Jesus, we can't understand even the end times and the things that are going to happen, the things that must happen, unless it's seen through the lens of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I I think Paul here is, as you said, pointing the Corinthian uh, Christians to understand that all of this is in the the context and the lens of of the law being about jesus ultimately
0: all right so we've got the the veil over the hearts of unbelievers it can only be lifted through christ he makes that turn then in verse 16 but when one turns to the lord the veil is removed before we make that turn with saint paul anything in the the previous couple verses pastor elmer before we move into that section i think i think we're good All right, so make the turn for us then. Verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed.
1: So yeah, here in in Christ, uh, in Christo, all of Scripture is open to us. And not only is all of Scripture open to us, all of our salvation is open to us. And this leads him into verses 17 and 18, where he starts talking about that freedom that we now have in Christ. And this is a topic that that Jesus does talk about uh, very, very frequently. I kind of have have in the notes here, and kind of my own personal love when when Jesus is talking about freedom in John. Um, you have the the text from John 8, you have the text from John 14, you have the text from John 16, where. Jesus, in in different situations, is talking about the difference between slavery and freedom. Um, John 8 is, of course, that uh, famous passage where Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That wonderful Reformation text, which was hopefully read in your churches just a little over a month ago in Reformation Day, where in Christ Jesus, Uh, We know that we have been set free from our former master, which is sin and death. And we have a new master, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this kind of does fly in the face of maybe some people's uh, understanding and idea of freedom, where freedom equals I get to do whatever I want all the time. Yay me, I can eat kind of candy and cookies and ice cream for breakfast every day because I'm free. Yippee! Right, Pastor Apple?
0: I do not eat that kind of breakfast every day, Pastor Ulmer. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. See, usually just black coffee. <laughs>
1: But that,
0: uh, but that kind that's of freedom not is... The right. Yeah, go ahead. That's not the right. That's not the freedom we're talking about. Here.
1: <laughs> that's not the freedom we're talking about. The, the freedom in the gospel is that we're trading one master who is does not have our best intentions in mind, one master who does not love us, one master who does not care for us, for a master who loves us so much that not only did he lay down his life and take it back up again for uh, us but he doesn't even call us slaves anymore, but he calls us brothers and friends. That the freedom that we have is to have a master who calls us his brothers and his friends. That's the gospel.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And so this is the the freedom that we have from, from the Spirit of the Lord. Notice again how Paul just seamlessly uses Trinitarian language. I mean, he just... He takes it for granted that the one true God is the triune God, and so he speaks in a, in a trinitarian way as he speaks about the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord doing the work of of God. Right? I mean, it's just remarkable how he how he does that throughout his epistles. And as Christians, sometimes we just, oh yeah, of course he's doing that, but it's it's worth noticing.
1: Yeah, it's worth noticing, and I think it's also worth uh, talking about kind of how he brings that about, right? Um, how does God bring about this knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? How does God bring about the confession from men's tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, that's the work of the spirit and the spirit works through uh, the written external word uh, given and proclaimed uh, so that when people hear the gospel of our Lord and Jesus Christ, their hearts are able to be turned from dead to alive and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. So, in, in this nice little uh, stew that's being concocted here in the Trinity, you even see that a work of the Trinity being done. God the Father sends the Son, who sends the Spirit working through the external word to bring people to faith uh, so that the Son might restore them to the Father. And how do we get to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord today? Well, you have lots of people in your life. If you're listening to this uh, radio bro- broadcast, um, somebody has proclaimed uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to you and the Holy Spirit has used that word uh, to put to death that ministry of death and has brought into your hearts that ministry of reconciliation that has much more glory uh, than that than that love, Moses.
0: Mm, yeah, this is, I mean, again, you brought up 1 Corinthians a couple times already. Recall 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that it is only in the spirit that we confess Jesus is Lord. So similarly here, How will the veil be removed? Well, when the Spirit brings me to the confession that Jesus is Lord, that is when the veil is removed. So we see how Paul continues to build on what he wrote to the Corinthians in his. In the epistle we call 1 Corinthians, there are other epistles out there, as we've talked about, that we don't have, uh, but in 1 Corinthians, the foundation continues to be laid here for this one. So, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That freedom comes through faith in Christ, given by the Spirit. This, then, leads to all of us having unveiled faces so that we can behold the glory of the Lord. Take us into verse 18.
1: Absolutely we with unveiled face we get to behold the glory of the lord this is where i pastor olmer get to encourage every single christian here to to go to church on sunday morning because what advice. a gift and privilege that we do what a gift and privilege that we do have to have a god who loves us so much that not only he saved us not only has he sent his spirit so that we might cry, Abba, Father, and declare that Jesus is Lord, but he actually promises to show up in our midst. When we gather together around the marks of the church, the gospel rightly taught and preached, uh, people being baptized with water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, when we gather around bread and wine that is Jesus's very true body and blood, that, that Jesus is there for us. We understand that he is there to give us his gifts, and and we receive uh, those gifts through those means that we might continue uh, in this faith into life everlasting. Um, You have nothing to fear from your God. He is not here in wrath for you, but he is here in love and and mighty salvation. Uh, Behold his glory. Take, eat, take, drink the body and blood of your Lord, given and shed for you. Hmm. Well, make that
0: connection a little little tighter, Pastor Almar. because yeah, go to church. You're a pastor, of course you're gonna tell people to, to go to church. <laughs> yeah. Every every pastor worth of salt's gonna tell people to go to church. Yes. How how is it in the divine service that we behold the glory of the Lord? You've mentioned the sacrament of the altar already.
1: Yep. Well, it's well, I encourage people to go to church because in our in our theology and our teaching we understand that God will be where he promises to be. God will be aware uh, his word is rightly taught and preached from your pulpits. Uh, so go and hear that word read and preached. God is promised to be present in holy baptism where, where infants and adults are, are brought to the waters. And he will be there to claim people as his own children. He will be on our altars where we celebrate the Lord's Supper in with and under the the bread and the wine because he has promised to, to give us Jesus's body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, behold the glory of the Lord there. We can do that because Jesus has promised to be there. He has promised to be there in tangible, physical means for us to experience. That's why, uh, yes, I as a pastor encourage people to go to church, but we specifically go to church because God promises to be there in, in a means in which we can experience him. That's well, the key to me. And, and he has like he's actually condescended himself to the point where we can do so without fear.
0: And, and to connect this to what we were talking about earlier with the glory of the old covenant, which had a lot of glory, now being surpassed by the glory of this new covenant, which is fulfilled in Christ— Wherever Christ is present, according to his promise, there his glory is, regardless of what it looks like to human eyes. So just like with St. Paul, though his detractors said, you don't look all that glorious, Paul, truly there was glory to be found because he was a part of this ministry of the New Covenant. So today in those places where Christ has promised to be present, there is glory to behold but it needs to be seen not with the eyes of, of sight, but with the eyes of faith.
1: Well, well put, Pastor Apple, well put.
0: So, Pastor Ulmer, then, what about this, to, to finish this thought that Paul has there in verse 18, we all with unfailed face, we behold the glory of the Lord, as we're talking about, and then we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Talk about that transformation that paul talks about
1: well i think this is where uh if i if i'm getting what you're where you're leading me in this this is where that ministry of the death that giving the law where it finally starts to make sense to us in christ because in christ not only do we know who we are who he has made us to be who he has claimed us to be, but he also has told us uh, what he desires for us so that we might then fully understand the place of the law in our life. And that is that we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, soul, and minds, that we love our neighbors as ourselves, uh, that, that we live in this way because that is how God has created us to live in this world. And we do it uh, without compulsion, without fear, because we have uh, been... Our, our lives have been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, that we might give God glory by doing good works for our neighbor, because that is the reason why he created us and placed us in our particular, specifically located places in our lives.
0: Mm, yeah, so so this is the good news of what God is doing for us in Christ through this ministry of righteousness. We have about two minutes left, Pastor Ulmer. Help us to wrap things up on this remarkable section of Second Corinthians 3 today.
1: Yeah, so in this section, r- just remember that Paul uh, is defending his kind of apostolic ministry and his call um, when it came kind of, came kind of under fire by the Corinthians who who might not have seen the greatness or the glory in his work of proclamation, um, but he is defending it as as a ministry given to him by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he uses this image of Exodus 34 to kind of flesh this out, that if there was glory in the giving of the law, which is the ministry of the death, how much more is there going to be in the life, death, and resurrection of uh, God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord? And how can that not uh, set us free and transform us to be the people that he created us to be?
0: Pastor Matt Ulmer is pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church, Friedheim, just outside Decatur, Indiana. He's been helping us today to study Second Corinthians chapter three, verses seven to eighteen. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today.
1: You're very welcome. God bless y'all.
0: When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It is through Christ that we understand the scriptures rightly, that we receive this glory that is found in him alone. Not a glory of our works that only leads to death, but rather the glory of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. That is the faith you have been given through the ministry of the Spirit. He has given you that faith through the proclamation of the word of God so that you behold the glory of Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.